Welcome to the Church's Changing Podcast. I'm Paul Nixon. And I'm Beth S. Doc, and we're your hosts. Last year, Paul and I became the hosts of the Field Preachers Podcast, which ironically enough, had nothing to do with preaching and everything to do with the changing landscape of church as we know it. Paul and I have this passion for listening into the changing landscape of culture and how that affects our concepts and our definitions of church. And as a matter of fact, it's such a passion that we wrote about this in a book entitled Weird Church, Welcome to the 21st Century, way back in 2016. 2016, even though it's just six years ago, seems like a millennium. At that time, anything that did not look like Sunday morning worship in a church building was thought of as weird. And so our book was actually edgy for that moment. And now as the COVID tsunami recedes, that book and this conversation is more relevant than ever. And we want to bring that conversation to you. So we decided to rename this podcast um, to reflect the moment that we're in. Church is changing. Everybody gets that. No one doubts that anymore. But the question is, what are the markers and the signs that we are seeing that will help us along the way? What are ways that we can meet our rapidly changing world with hope and resilience? Both Paul and I are church consultants and coaches, and we have the beautiful privilege to work with innovators from all over North America, as well as the United Kingdom. And although we both see the decline of the old and how hard that is and how messy that is, we are also hopeful for the new shoots of life that are springing up all around us. So Paul and I, we want to continue to bring you those stories of hope from folks around the world who are engaging the gospel message in new ways. And we're also going to be interviewing thought leaders who have wisdom for us as we think about what do we have to let go of? What is it that no longer works? And then how can we begin to discern what are those new things that long to spring forth? So if you're a church leader, and if you're looking for practical ideas and new ways of thinking, this podcast is for you. And we also wanna hear from you. So um, who would you like us to interview? What topics would help you as you navigate these changes? Or do you have a story that you know would be helpful for all of us to hear? So if that's the case, just drop us a line. You can get our email addresses in the show notes and let us know what you're thinking. And we should add that the podcast from the last two years of Field Preachers are still available under the Field Preachers name. And also you will be able to find them through the webpage dedicated to this new podcast. Everything is archived. It's all there if you want to go back and experience some amazing conversation. So, Beth. Yes, Paul. Here we are, beginning a, a new leg of the journey. I am so excited, Paul. I am so, so very excited. I'm excited for this name change and for, um, you know, who we're going to be interviewing this year. It's going to be great. You know, church is changing so radically, and every coaching call that I have, almost every conversation, people are experiencing dis-ease over the fact that they're line managers, their superintendents, their whoever, are 
trying to figure out what they're doing and to assess how well they're doing by metrics that don't make sense in the moment that we're living in, by measures that were designed for another time. Yeah, and we especially see that now as churches are coming back from the pandemic and they've dabbled in online worship offerings and even to the point of, well, how do you count who's online, who's not online, how many people are in the church? Um, it's just um, a real mess right now. So, I mean, the, the forms that we fill out really haven't changed since the United Methodist Church was organized back in the mid to late 60s in another, <laughs> in another, in another time and place. I mean, in the late 60s, we were still living in the last days of Christendom. And if we were yeah. to look at those forms, they hadn't really changed probably a whole lot since the 1920s. We, we change names, you know, so the, the Epworth League becomes the United Methodist Youth Fellowship, you know. <laughs> but, but now that maybe you're asking the question, how do you measure youth ministry? Mm. And what is it? What's it look like? How do they gather? Is it an online experience? Is it mostly the children of church members? Is it kids that live in an at-risk neighborhood where we're playing in the streets with them and teaching them skills for survival in a, in a gangland? I mean, what is youth ministry? And how do, we, how do we even tell that story? And that's just one little tiny piece of the pie. Right, right. So anyway, I thought maybe we might talk a little bit about metrics as we talk about okay, churches Paul. changing. I know that you've thought a lot about this because you're kind of that metrics guy. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it. I have been a metrics guy and I have spent more time than I'm probably comfortable sharing poring over <laughs> statistical tables, both historical tables studying church history, as well as trying to figure out what's going on in terms of trends in the churches where I'm working. But there is a, there's a book that I do love by John Ferguson and Warren Bird entitled Hero Maker. And there's a section in that book about two thirds of the way through, maybe four pages, where there is a list, single space, all the way down the page, every page, of different sorts of stuff that we could measure. And it starts out with the, with the kind of typical things. How many people sat down on wooden benches this week? <laughs> you know, how many people put their names on a list called membership roll and signed up? How many, how much money was accumulated in the offering plate? Okay. So it start, you could, you could look at the standard stuff, but then they talk about how many adult participants in the church started volunteering in the community to do something mm. good. Okay, or then they go even to, um, to kind of like um, community impact. How what happened to the crime rate in the zip code? Oh, I love that one. Or the divorce rate, or whatever. So they begin to to spread out, and you realize, wow, it's possible to get straight A's on a church report card based on the old metrics. Oh, I don't think so anymore. I don't think so anymore. Yes, the flunk. Yes. And a flunk. That's the thing. So in the event that somehow you manage to make it all work by 1968 metrics, you're so far off in terms of it's going to be, a, you're, you're creating a monster or something for, 
for another era. So, I, so behind all this thing about metrics really is how do we measure kingdom impact? How do we measure the fact that we're making some positive difference in the world? How do we measure momentum? How do we measure what's going on in the lives of the people that, we're, that are coming along on the journey? Are they growing in grace? How do we know? You know? Are there signs of that? You know, I think, I think metrics really underneath them, I think they're telling a story that's related to core values. And I think different churches in different times and places will discern different core values. And it's not to say that the values that we lifted up in one era are suddenly out of vogue. It's just that there's a lot of values out there. What are the values that strategically are important to us to lift up for us to be faithful in this era? You know, you're talking, Paul, there seems to be a shift in those those old metrics were very scientific. They were objective. And what you're talking about now is more subjective. They were almost industrial. Yes. I mean, they, mm-hmm. the, the whole metrics table rose up after the Industrial Revolution. I don't think you would have mm-hmm. found much of that kind of thing in existence prior to the year 1800, for example. Mm-hmm. And, it, and so it was looking almost at church as a, as a corporation. Right. And as we move into this post-Christendom, post-modern culture, there really needs to be an integration of what's best of both that objective reality and the more subjective core values, culture. You know, I always look to, you know, where's the energy showing up and are we following that energy? How do you measure energy? But there really is a felt sense about it that once you know it, you know it and you know what to do. Absolutely. I sometimes ask my clients, what's the story? And at first, they're not sure maybe what I'm asking. And I say, what's the narrative? What's the story that's unfolding? As you're looking at all the crazy that's going on, where do you see God working? And where is their spirit leading? And what, 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 not only what are you trying to do, but what's unfolding? And if that's the story, what are the, what are the signs of movement in that story? You know, and that can be a, a very different answer from one place to the next. So I think standardized metrics for every place, there may be a few that, you know, money will always be on the list, won't it? But um, I, I, I think really more and more we need to empower church leaders to decide, how do I know if I'm making progress? And to empower them to, to make some calls on that. Yeah, and I also think that it's so highly contextual And um, also, you know, the metrics that we might have measured even three years ago are not going to be the same as today or even uh, ministry specific. Like when we think about all of the mental health issues after this COVID tsunami and a church trying to attend to that, what would those metrics look like? So there really has to be some creativity and adaptability around this. I also agree with you that metrics are important because if we need to know what we're looking for and what we're looking to, to know if we're on the journey, you know, if we're following the map, if we're going someplace. Occasionally, you and I have the good fun of working together on a church consultation. And that mm-hmm. happened this, this past year. We worked with a, a first United Methodist Church in a large Midwestern city. And I was in a conversation with them just yesterday where they are continuing to figure out 
children's and youth ministry, which just collapsed entirely during the pandemic, and to figure out what is it now? What is it going to be? And there are several variables that have just changed the whole landscape. One is that it, it was already happening before the pandemic, but the the soccer and all the activities make it very, very difficult for families to get there every week to have their children in a in a sequential um, Sunday school experience. That that was mm-hmm. already difficult, and now it's well nigh impossible for this large regional church where it takes a while to. to It's a hike to get into the center of the city. But then, in addition to that, you've got the fact that there are new issues relating to the way that human beings interact with one another, digital issues, issues around cultural language. And these kids in this church have been apart now for, what, a year and a half, two years, and they're not a group anymore. Hmm. And they come, they come from different parts of town. They go to different schools. There's different narratives there. And so just weaving them back together, that's going to be an interesting thing. And they're going, they're in the pro, they have no clue what it's going to look like to put that back together again and where it's going to go. They know that they want to help their children grow in grace and to help them to be people that can take faith into their lives forward. And that's about all they know. It'll be interesting. Only on the journey will they discover the milestones that will be relevant to measure where they're going with that. But all of the old numbers are going to be basically, or the old measures are going to be um, not helpful. I agree with you. You know, in the New Testament, um, when the writers were telling us how Christianity unfolded, they didn't rely much on statistical data, you know, to go back to the thought that this is really a post-industrial kind of a thing. Occasionally, they mention something numerical to make a point. But the Gospels and the Book of Acts are not books of numbers, per se. Every now and then, you know, they'll make it as an example. But they, but rather, they're books that are tracking the mighty acts of God in their life mm. and in their experience. I love that. And really, they were looking for the signs. Mm-hmm. And they told about the wonders. Now, signs and wonders sounds kind of Pentecostal to our ears, but yet I think signs and wonders and talking about that probably would get us closer to a helpful conversation about progress than just statistical tables based on old programs. I'm wondering, Paul, since you know we, we toss around this word right now called liminal, means that we're in the unknown, we're in the... Um, the death of the old and the um, not unknown of what that new thing is. And so we're in this, you know, if I were going to put an image around it, it would be we're in the dark. And what are the ways that we can comport ourselves while we're in the dark, fumbling around, trying to make our way in the dark? And, And I think, you know, following the energy, looking for the signs and wonders you know, those serendipitous encounters that you'll never guess what happened but stories. They're stories of hope. Uh, they give us a sense of direction and uh, ground us in a sense of God's not done with us yet. And wow, this is a fun journey, even though it's a little dark right now. You know, when they talked about signs and wonders in the, in the narrative of the book of Acts or in, or in one of the Gospels, There was something in the telling of that that was confirming to the community 
we're on we're on the right path this is a this mm-hmm. is a this is a story that's going somewhere this is not like a river that's drying up in the desert this is not we're not just holding on until the last one of us turns out the light so we run out of money you know there was a there was a sense that this is going somewhere and often it was a sense that this is going somewhere even though we're being persecuted even though the government authorities just arrested half our church last week and we don't even see them this week you know but this is going somewhere there was this powerful sense of the providence of god that through it all it was going somewhere and you know we we use metrics as a way of trying to establish a sense of progress but the metrics weren't all that good at times in the early church i mean how big were those churches that paul was planting that no one ever tells us you know <laughs> were they were they reaching their 200 in worship so that they were fully sustainable so that we could call it a win you know who knows what was going on in Ephesus, you know, how many people were really around in the, in all of that and how many of them were backsliding back into paganism, you know, (laughs) and yet there was this sense that something powerful is happening and they had to learn to look past the the discouraging metrics to be looking for something of hope, you know? And I'm reminded of that story of, you know, Jesus sending out the 72 and basically like rely on prayer, drop your assumptions and look for people at peace. And And have some amazing conversations. And have some amazing conversations. And if, if there were a metric around that that Jesus was saying is, come back and tell me what happened when you found those people at peace. And so the only thing we know statistically was that there were approximately 70 people that went out in various teams. So about 35 teams that went out. That's about all we know. We don't know how many of them were successful. We don't know how many of them got, you know, run off with a shotgun. We, we, we don't know all that part, you know. Um, we just know that they went out and they, um, I'm sure some beautiful conversations were had. Mm-hmm. You know, in ministry today, I, I refer to that text a lot because in ministry today, so often, we don't know what to do, so you just need to get out there and start chatting and listening, discerning, paying attention to where the energy begins to bubble up, where the, where the eyes begin to light up and to wonder, whoa, what's going on here? And in my experience, it's never where we think it's going to be. It's often a surprise, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't... I don't imagine that the statistical forms are going away anytime soon because I think that's pretty, pretty deeply embedded in our institutional, the institutional side of who we are as church and, and it's okay. But what are some ways that leaders, we can, we, we can tend to that, but that we can all can have another way of looking at what's going on so that we're not so discouraged all the time. You know, one counterintuitive metric for me would be, um, am I taking care of myself as a leader? Mm. Because this is a rough time we're going through, and there's a lot of burnout out there. And if I can track, yeah, this week, these are the ways I took care of myself, that's a major win right there. Absolutely. 
a lot of times when I think about self-care, I use the concept of Sabbath, which doesn't, does not necessarily mean, did you stop working all day on Saturday, but means what did you do this week that enabled you to move into a different kind of space of healing, renewal? Mm-hmm. Was there anything? And, and, and I will say, I, I'm amazed continually how many of my clients, coaching clients, pastors, and other kinds of leaders, they... The, the, will sheepishly admit that Sabbath is not adequately happening in their life, especially in the frenzy of making a recording for Zoom on on Thursday before you have a live service on Sunday and all of the additional busyness that we continue to pack in um, during this late pandemic season. Mm-hmm. So that's an example. Yeah, sure. That's an example of something that, you know, it's not like we need to be measuring 72 things. I I think that goes back to the core values. What are the things that are critical right now? That they're always, they're always important, but right now they're they're they are life and death critical. Clergy and church leader right. self care is a big big deal right now. Right. Mental health and other kinds of health breakdown is a huge and the and the great resignation, which which is people just becoming overwhelmed with it all. That's. There's a very high percentage of our leaders that are, if if they can't find a way to, to get rebalanced and, and regrounded in a sense of joy, none of the rest of it's going to work. Right. What would be one of your top ways of reframing metric for this day and age? I think that we need to be paying more attention to partners, to allies, mm. to kindred spirits who may not be joining the church, but who may be people of peace. Mm-hmm. Whether they're going to work alongside us or we work alongside them, or we there's just a good energy there. I think partnership is so terribly important today. I mean, we've learned that with church planting over the years, but we're kind of all replanting right now. And I don't recall that ever being asked in a form that I'm aware of. But who are the new partners that are emerging who have energy for what they're doing that helps to synergize with us so that together we're better. That would be one. Yeah. And that's a beautiful metric to think of as a church leader, but also as a church community and even tracking the people that attend or are shaped and formed by our church witness. How are they engaged in community partnerships in their own life. That would be an amazing thing to look at. The whole idea of measuring or getting a sense of what's happening, what people are doing with their faith beyond building the core institutional structure of church, is has, that's been missing from our matrix for a long, long time. That's been a missing mm-hmm. piece even in the old world. Mm-hmm. We think about, we want to make disciples, okay? Well, that's good whatever that means. It means different things in different places. But we want to put people to work serving God in productive ways. But so often what that meant was finding a place, based on your spiritual gifting, finding a place where you fit in to the church ecosystem or the church machine, depending. depending. So and, and fitting in, finding your committee, finding your team, finding your place, and it's all thrown back into the church. We seldom have been really trying to track how people are taking faith and going out into the world and making a difference. Yeah. You know, so many of our church members 
are essential workers. I was in a church one day this last winter during the height of Omicron, and there was a, a testimony in church from a, an emergency room nurse. And with tears, she talked about loving the dying. It sounded like a Mother Teresa talk, you know? Mm. And she was talking about working at the hospital not too far from the church where they were there, there were COVID patients dying every single day and talking about experiences in her life of trying to be present, to be the presence of Christ in the lives of the dying. It was just beautiful. And all I could think of as I was listening to this was, wow, the church is in the ER. Yeah. Yeah. She's not a chaplain. She's not ordained. She's not on some official list of, you know, certified whatever. She's just a piece of that churches, the body of Christ in that place, showing up in ways, in faithful ways, in loving ways, and being the church. If, if all we're thinking about is, is how we continue to grow the hairball that is the, the organized part of church, we don't ever see any of that. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing they would have been talking about in the book of Acts. Definitely. That's a, that's a sign and miracle right there, that story. It's also and I don't mean this in a cynical sort of way, it's, it also motivates me to get some money out of my pocket to invest in a church that's, that's helping to resource, encourage, and to send people to do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. That feels so much like a better investment than just keeping the, you know, the, the water from coming in on us. <laughs> well, Paul, I think we could talk about this for a lot longer, but uh, we're running out of time today. So any last words that you want to share about the new podcast or this conversation about metrics? Well, um, I think we've said about all we could say about metrics, at least I have, but I would say I'm excited to continue interviewing and learning with people that are thinking in fresh ways, that are stepping outside of old paradigms, and yet in Every case, I have never in this podcast ever really visited with someone who was not really guided by a deep sense of spirituality and a love for Christ. And I, I just look forward to having my mind expanded. Me too. And that's why I'm so excited. And I'm so grateful to be uh, partnering with you in this endeavor. Beth, it's great to be with you today. I hope you subscribe to us in the podcast player of your choice. And then check out our show notes for our contact information, because we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you. And if you know someone really interesting out there that you think we should talk to, we'd love to hear about them as well. And we want to thank all of you for joining us. And we look forward to another conversation as church is changing. Church is Changing podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.